that feeling, you know, when you've set up all your little, you know, army men or, or action figures or whatever it might be, uh, your dolls on the floor uh, and, and I got them all in the right poses and then you lie down on your stomach and you so that you're sort of at eye level with everything and, you know, that sort of angle of play. When I'm working on a novel, that's where I am. Effectively, is, you know, in my mind at least, I'm lying on my stomach, um, you know, trying to make it all look more real. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. Tomorrow, Michael Chabon will receive the St. Louis Literary Award. It's given by the St. Louis University Library Associates each year to one distinguished figure in literature. And for Chabon, the award is a long time in coming. The acclaimed novelist is actually the 2020 recipient. Yes, the pandemic delayed this too. Now, in a normal year, the winner would come to St. Louis to receive the award. Unsurprisingly, that's not in the cards. Instead, Michael Chabon will receive the award from his home in California. California. But it's still going to be a very special and very St. Louis ceremony. He'll be interviewed by John Hamm, and there'll be music from local bands playing songs featured in Shabon's 2012 novel, Telegraph Avenue. Like this song by St. Louis's own red and black brass band. And that is Fingers. It was written by Brazilian drummer Ayrto Moreira and recently recorded by the Red and Black Brass Band. And joining us today is the 2020 St. Louis Literary Award recipient, Michael Chabon. Michael, welcome. Hi, Sarah. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, Michael, how about that St. Louis version of Fingers? Does it make you that feel like really you're right cool. here? Yeah? Yes, very much so. It works also, in translation. Can I just say, I am starving and it was torture. To sit to listen to the previous segment about the street tacos and uh, all the other things that I can't eat because they're in St. Louis. Well, you are going to have to make a makeup trip to St. Louis after. <laughs> I this. will do. I will. I will. I would love to. I've only ever been to St. Louis once, and it was all too briefly. So. Well, you are I due to come, to come back. back. We have some restaurant yes. recommendations for you, and and maybe John Hamm would want to hang out. That'd be great. <laughs> so stepping back a bit, congratulations on this award. Does it feel weird to be a distinguished figure in literature when you're still in your 50s? Um, that's very kind of you. Um, yes, I am still clinging to my 50s tenaciously. I'll be 58 in May. Um, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't want to say I, I'm accustomed to it or anything like that, but... Um, but I've been doing this for a long time now. I published my first novel um, when I was 24 years old. So it's been a long time in the book writing game. And, um, you know, the uh, the um, part of it that has to do with uh, awards and prizes and acclaim and all that kind of thing, um, it's all, it's very nice it's, mm-hmm. and it's very much appreciated. But um, when you get back to your chair every night. I work at night um, and you have to, and I try to get a thousand words every day when I'm working on a novel. Um, you know, that that part of it doesn't get any easier, strangely, um, hmm. no matter how many uh, uh, awards or how much acclaim. 
It's interesting. Your your career makes it look so easy. I mean, there's been some people who had the overnight success that you had that just, you know, they never were able to get that second novel out or, you know, things kind of trailed off when no one read the third. I mean, you have just had a mm-hmm. series of, of just wonderful books that seem to keep coming and, and coming. Have you ever felt at, at any point like you've lost the muse? Well, no, I mean, it could still happen. There's plenty of time. But it hasn't uh, happened yet. <laughs> um, you know, it might seem that way, but, you know, I, I actually, um, I, I, well, for one thing, for what, with what was meant to be my second novel, I really struggled uh, really seriously and badly for a long time. So after The Mysteries of Pittsburgh, uh, my first book was published, um, I, mo- I moved fairly swiftly into writing what I wanted to be the second novel, what I hoped would be the second novel. And I worked on that for about five and a half years um, Mm. uh, and completed many drafts, um, none to my satisfaction um, before I finally abandoned it and, um, and started working on this silly little book about, of all things, a writer who can't finish his book. um, Wonder Boys. Yeah, that was a wonderful book. Thank you. I mean, that really restored my confidence, which is what I needed because I was pretty badly shaken. And I had tried to do something much more ambitious with that second book and cover a lot more ground and uh and i couldn't so and then i sort of retreated in a way with this much smaller book that was also set in pittsburgh like my first book in some ways it was a little bit of a step backward but it was what i needed at that point to, hmm. uh, just to be able to keep going well you've since moved from just writing about uh male writers who live in pittsburgh you've you've moved to creating <laughs> entire worlds and and you know so many interesting characters and so many interesting places was it hard to then finally write that book that was about just a totally different world after you'd stalled out the first time you tried to do it well uh, it was when it started to go wrong. Yeah. I mean, at first the, 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 the third book was the amazing adventures of Cavalier and Clay, which, you know, everything worked out fine, but there was Won the Pulitzer prize for fiction definitely worked out fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, when I started that, when I started it with all the excitement, um, that I usually start well, that I've started everything really, um, in a sense, like this is going to be good and there's so much to this and I'm going to be able to find a lot in here and, and all of those feelings. Um, but that book took almost, it took about five years to finish. And in the course of those five years, I lost my way a couple of times and had moments of real panic and despair where, where I felt like, oh my God, it's <laughs> happening again. Like I, maybe I just can't do this thing where you have an omniscient narrator and multiple characters and points of view and, and you're switching from one continent to another and all the things I had tried to do in, in that um, that failed second novel that I was trying again in a different way with with what became Cavalier and Clay. Um, but, you know, I stuck it out and that one happened to come together. But, you know, it it's weird. It, it On the sentence level, in terms of writing individual sentences, um, it's it's always come fairly easy, easily to me. And, it, and I would say at this point, it comes so easily that I'm almost unconscious in a sense while mm-hmm. I'm writing sentences i'm almost i'm just really listening to some kind of i'm not trying to be very mystical about this it's some kind of physiological process no doubt but there's a voice that's speaking and i'm just trying to take dictation Hmm. and and that has gotten easier over time to the point where i like i say i don't almost don't think about it anymore at all but the, the all the other parts of the job the structure pacing plotting 
uh, you know, uh, character creation and, and, and trying to bring characters across as seemingly living or at least lifelike um, people and all the other things that any reader expects from a novel, that stuff just never seems to get any easier. And I keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again. The same mistakes. What What's one mistake that you find yourself making over and over again? Uh, well, for example, um, there's a very important um, feature of sort of, you know, I call it traditional or classic mainstream novel writing, which is that you write in scene, in dramatized scenes where you have your characters speaking to each other. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so, you know, what they are thinking and feeling and what they do is shaped by let's say limited to the things that they can say to each other um you might be giving their thoughts while they're saying them and all that sort of thing but but the important moments in a novel are structured around um sort of real-time dramatized interactions between characters almost as if they were in a play or in a film mm -hmm. um uh and it's very easy for beginning writers uh, who don't know that i haven't sort of had that pointed out to them to don't who don't know the importance of that to write in what's called summary where you just sort of um without dramatizing things you just describe what happened and mm -hmm. how people felt and and uh it's a very basic beginner trick you are taught in you know writing 101 you know show don't tell uh i i still like I, a lot of the time if i'm having a series of bad days at the keyboard uh, and thinking, this is not working. What's wrong here? Something's off. And I will go back and look at the last 30 pages I've written. And I, I forgot to write in scene. Like hmm. I just, uh, it's all summary. And, it, and I think it's partly because you're you're simply trying to figure out what actually is happening. Like what does happen? Who does what to whom? And why you just want to tell um, us you, you you want to cut to the chase there well i want to i have to actually figure it out for myself mm -hmm. um like what is going on here and it might be that it's a little easier to do that sometimes by just describing it writing it in summary form um um you know they have an argument he walks out he tells her this she leaves whatever um it helps you figure things out but it's really dull as paint to, to read so um i think that's why it keeps recurring is just that it is a process of figuring stuff out but um it's very it's all too easy still for me to forget that then i have to go back and dramatize it we're talking today to the author michael shabon he receives the st louis literary award tomorrow uh, you can join that virtually we have all sorts of details about that on our website um, and we may also share some of them with you in, in just a bit but but michael it's interesting to hear you talk about that and the difficulty of of forcing yourself to do those scenes in dialogue because these days you're writing a lot for television and it feels like mm -hmm. television writing that's got to be at least 95 percent dialogue um oh yes it, it is is that that's so you're forcing yourself to do the harder part of the job by doing that kind of writing well you know it's in, that's a good question and it's interesting and actually i think um i have done so much uh, screenwriting or tv writing in the last couple of years you're working for uh, on the the uh, Star Trek Picard television show, I was a showrunner of that for its first season, and I wrote just—I mean, I don't even—I can't even think about it—a thousand pages <laughs> of 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 drafts of scripts for that show. Wow! And uh, and then um, I yell at my wife, I yell at Wellman, and I have been working on developing Cavalier and Clay as a TV series, and we've been working on scripts for that. So I've been doing so much screenwriting that I actually I. I think it's 
it's had an effect on my prose writing where I'm working on a novel at the same time. And it, I, I think it's a little, that's a mistake that I'm making a little less frequently than I used to, because I, I am so much locked in at this point to this um, writing one scene after another. And that, as you say, that's all you have is mm-hmm. um, in a screenplay is what your characters say to each other. And then what they do in terms of the purest action. And there's no description or very little, and there's, um, you know, no uh, interior at all. There's no, the characters don't have any kind of interior lives. So, I mean, they have them, but they're not represented. So, um, so uh, I think it has made it a little easier for me to avoid that particular uh, mistake, just because I am sort of more in this scene, scene, scene. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. And yet I find myself wondering the idea of simultaneously doing all this writing for television and these big projects and then still carving out time for what I imagine is a far lonelier pursuit of writing this novel. Is it hard to force yourself to work on the novel when there's the fun of of the more collaborative writing where you're able to kick around ideas and and you're getting constant feedback? Um, You know, I think it's 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 a bit of a wash. I think the 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 collaboration part is fun and the, and the knowing, especially what, what's fun and as it's not the case with the Cavalier and Clay project, not yet anyway, but with Picard was, was, you know, you would write these things and then they would get shot and you would see the actors, um, you know, saying the words that you had just been writing, you know, in a couple of months before or a month before, or in some cases that morning. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, that's really fun like and just to you know it's not just the loneliness um the solitude of uh, fiction writing that can be tough but also just the, the length of time and mm-hmm. the, the amount of time that passes between um you know when you write um say when you're working on the earliest parts of a novel and when that novel gets published can be in my case years yeah I mean, you have to be so of, patient i imagine yes and just stick to it and just you know it's easy to lose heart and and have that pace so accelerated in in TV writing um, when you're when you actually are writing directly for the screen um, and you know it that's exciting and that's exhilarating but it's also um, you know you know even when you're the showrunner of a show which I was lucky enough to be on Picard's first season mm-hmm. uh, you're still not the boss of all bosses um, you're not the one writing the checks and. You're not the. Um, you get to make a lot of the decisions, but even in that exalted position, you're, um, you have to give way. You have to consult. You have to. Well, the the uh, the flip side of collaboration is you know uh, obedience and hmm. uh, and concession. And um, when you're writing a novel, as lonely as it might be at times, you are all, you don't have to consult with anybody, and you get to make all the decisions. You're completely in charge. Uh, and the way you want it is the way it happens. And, and, and it's all free, too. You don't have to pay for any of it. You don't have to justify the expense to someone who's writing the checks in the, you know, in the, in the uh, accounting department. So um, it has its advantages. Um, it's not so much that it's hard to go off and work an, on a novel after having had the fun of collaborating so much as that it's just the, de- the deadlines are so real in mm-hmm. TV. Um, that it pushes the novel out of the way. So what I found when I was working on Picard was it was almost all, it was all but impossible for me to work on a novel at the same time. Um, I had to put it aside just because, um, you know, 
there weren't a bunch of actors standing around on a soundstage waiting for me to finish my novel. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like we are not going to lose you fully to TV, sort of that ability to, to almost be the god creating the world without having to have somebody, again, write a check for it. Um, right. It sounds like that's too tantalizing. You don't want to give that up. Well, no, I mean, that's what it's all about for me, and that's what it's always been about. Um, you know, from the earliest age, uh, I, I have a brother but he, who's five and a half years younger than I am, so I was an only child for, you know, that first crucial part of childhood and had to play by myself a lot and make up my own games and invent my own worlds to play in. And that feeling, you know, when you've set up all your little, you know, army men or, or action figures or whatever it might be, uh, your dolls on the floor uh, and, and got them all in the right poses and then you lie down on your stomach and you so that you're sort of at eye level with everything and it all makes it all look much more real. You know, that sort of angle of play that mm-hmm. you try to get at. Um, you know, that is still the goal, always the goal. When I'm working on a novel, that's where I am. Effectively, is, you know, in my mind at least, I'm lying on my stomach um, you know, trying to make it all look more real. But yeah, I'm, it's my world. I'm the boss. These are my characters. And um, that feeling, uh, it, that's a pleasurable feeling for me. And it goes way back to the beginnings. Mm-hmm. So you were able to have that even even when you were very young writing. Um, and, and now that, as you say, parts of this have gotten easier for you, you still get mm-hmm. that that enjoyment from it. Oh, very much so. I love it. When it, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, if there are plenty of terrible days, there are plenty of, and there are, you know, as I've already said, I've, I've abandoned more than one manuscript over the years. Um, that, the, that second novel is the only one that I never went back to, but uh, mm. I wrote a 450-page draft of my novel, The Yiddish Policeman's Union, that I tossed and started over again. So, and, and it did not, that was not easy, and it was a two and a half years of work just out the window. So, <laughs> you know, it's not like it's, um, I'm just like skipping along the, the garden path <laughs> this every is not day bliss. saying, yay, I get to go right. But what in terms, just sentence by sentence, you know, I just find the writing of sentences themselves to be pleasurable. And mm. because I get that sort of sentence level pleasure, um, even when I don't really know what I'm doing or I feel lost or confused, um, you know, that sort of sustains me. Mm. Um the hard times. So this last year has been so weird and hard. And I know California, it's mm-hmm. been, been very weird and hard for you guys there. Um, a lot of lockdowns. Do you feel like fiction mm-hmm. coming out of this pandemic is going to be different um, than than the worlds that you were able to envision before it? Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's a, it's so everyone's response to it is so u- unique. And, you know, even in my own house and at one point, uh, my wife and I were were quarantining with um, with three of our four children and one of those children's uh, partners. So full we house. had our full yeah we had our full complement of four children. Although one of them was a was a sort of you know a, a, a substitute child, um, adult or quasi adult children, and you know those six people were each of them was having a very distinct response to being in quarantine to um, having this threat to our lives out there, um, at times, you know, very close and present threat, um, or felt that way, Mm -hmm. um, to being not being able to go places and do things, to having work to do, but having a strange relationship to it, having it all feel slightly unreal or or more real or whatever it might be. I mean, we each had our own 
way of getting through that. And so it's, I think it might be hard to generalize, you know, moving outward towards say writers of the world or writers of California, um, you know, as to what, how that experience will prove to have affected the work that we do. Now you've talked before about just loving to have uh, these four kids at home and, and have them as sort of a pack. This is when mm-hmm. they were younger. Did it mm-hmm. have that same magic as they were quasi-adults all sort of forced to be in the same house together? Um, I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, this has been such a calamity for so many of us and it's been so hard. Um, and I've lost um, friends um, to the disease and, uh, and, um, you know, I, I'm in saying what I'm about to say, I, I'm not in any way trying to diminish um, the, 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 the horror of this experience. However, that period, which lasted from about mid late March to uh, mid June, um, mm-hmm. where we had three of our kids home again after they all left, um, you know, to go to school or to just be out in the world. Um, was such an incredible gift. Mm. Um, you know, we, my son, who's 23, um, you know, he was gone. He graduated from college and he was was beginning his life. Seemingly he was about to, we never expected to have him back again. And his younger siblings never expected to have him back again. Um, you know, in any prolonged way. So to get him back and this, to to have the goodbyes that we had either overtly or or just implicitly said to each other and to him um at some point have, have that all sort of be abrogated to have him return to us and and with his lovely girlfriend um to boot just it was it we we were very conscious of how uh, fortunate we were uh privileged if you will and um how wonderful it was all to be together and we you know we bought a heat lamp so we could eat meals outside and we tried to do things around the house that made it more fun to all be stuck in the house together and uh it was great i I, i'm so glad that we had that and uh, you know at the same time would i have chosen could i have chosen to have no pandemic and lose that of course i would have chosen well, Michael Shabon, it's it's been so good to hear that, that that worked so well for you. We want to congratulate you again on winning the St. Louis Literary Award. We have all Thank the details you. about how you can join um, on our website. That's stlpublicradio.org. And, and Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Sarah. Thank you. Good talking to you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.